You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Ransomware hits a major data center provider but appears to have left service unaffected. There's a thriving criminal market for website defacement tools. Vandals can be consumers too. CDR Thief does what its name implies. ByteDance tried negotiating TikTok's American future. Ireland's Data Protection Commission starts enforcing Shrems 2 against Facebook. A Weiss Rashid outlined software development security pitfalls. Our guest is John Morello from Palo Alto with insights from their new State of Cloud Native Security report. And China's ambassador to the UK has his Twitter account hacked. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, September 10th, 2020. <music> Ransomware continues to hit large and potentially lucrative markets. Late yesterday, the data center giant Equinix disclosed that it had sustained a ransomware attack. The company said that the incident, which it says left its customers' data and operations untouched, involves ransomware on some of our internal systems. ZDNet says that Equinix statements to the effect that customers haven't been impacted seem correct. In any case, there are no reports of service outages, and the usual drumfire of social media complaints about problems hasn't begun. The company is working with law enforcement to investigate the incident. Comparatech's look at the cyber underworld and its criminal markets has led it to conclude that some 86 vulnerabilities in content management systems affecting more than 100,000 sites are being actively traded. Many of the vulnerabilities are zero days, and they're exploited for the most part in website defacement attacks. Defacement is common, Comparatech thinks, because hackers want to count coup. They want to be noticed. Researchers at security firm ESET this morning released a study of CDR Thief, malware that attacks certain Chinese-manufactured voiceover IP switches. CDRs are call detail records, data like caller and callee IP addresses, starting time of the call, call duration, calling fee, and so on. 
CDR Thief, as its name suggests, is an information stealer. ESET doesn't know for sure what the spyware's purpose is, but the fact that it exfiltrates sensitive information, including metadata, suggests to the researchers that it's probably a cyber espionage tool. It could also be used for voiceover IP fraud, specifically for international revenue share fraud, a scam in which grifters get access to an operator's network in order to bring traffic to phone numbers they've obtained from an international premium rate number provider. The Washington Post says that ByteDance, TikTok's corporate parent, is in discussions with the U.S. government to determine if U.S. security concerns can be allayed by anything short of the sale of much of the social platform to American companies. It's unclear what alternative arrangements might satisfy the U.S. government, but ByteDance's general line appears to be that banning TikTok will have unintended, unexpected, and undesirable consequences. One of those alleged consequences seems to be, surprisingly and counter to general impressions, that TikTokers tend to skew conservative and that a ban would leave the social media field open to progressives. That's ByteDance's story, anyway. Ireland's Data Protection Commission, the EU's one-stop GDPR shop for many American companies, has told Facebook to stop transferring data about its European users to the U.S., the Wall Street Journal reports. The directive was issued pursuant to the July ruling by the European Court of Justice that invalidated the privacy shield arrangement between the EU and the U.S. And finally, the Twitter account belonging to Liu Xiaoming, China's ambassador to the United Kingdom, was apparently hijacked earlier this week, the BBC reports. Mr. Liu's account displayed likes that included tweets highly critical of Beijing's repressive policies towards several of its domestic groups and regions. The false tweets also link to what we must call, for SEO reasons and also because we're a family show, saucy adult content video. None of this has figured in Ambassador Liu's social media presence, so the claim that his account was hijacked seems pretty clearly to be true. China's embassy in London yesterday denounced the hijacking. They called it the work of anti-China elements and called for Twitter to investigate. The embassy tweeted, quote, Recently, some anti-China elements viciously attacked Ambassador Liu Xiaoming's Twitter account and employed despicable methods to deceive the public. The Chinese embassy strongly condemns such abominable behavior. End quote. A follow-on tweet said, sounding a bit like a shadow broker bucking for employee of the month, quote, The embassy has reported to this Twitter company and urged the latter to make thorough investigations and handle this matter seriously. The embassy reserves the right to take further actions and hope that the public will not believe or spread such rumor. End quote. Some of the tweets Mr. Liu was represented as liking were straightforward political attacks on Beijing's record with respect to the repression of Uyghurs, Hong Kong, Tibetans, and so on. The tweeted responses to the embassy's denials, harumphing and calling for redress of grievances, tended to be at least literally sympathetic offering support for Mr. Liu's leisure-time appreciation of adult content, evidently something to do with feet, it seems. They urged the ambassador to own it and not to feel pressure to deny a hobby that, some of the tweeters implied, they themselves might be given to enjoy. One tweeter did express concern. Looking at adult foot content may be fine as an avocation, but doing so on government time with government equipment is problematic to say the least and should be looked into by HR or somebody.
It's hard to tell when someone's being ironic, but there does seem to be some such intent gurgling around all this intentionality. The few who expressed unalloyed support for the Chinese government were not so sure. They may really mean the outrage they express about British lies and propaganda slandering the People's Republic. Some of them went so far as to say they intended to write their MP to complain. Takes all kinds, right? Upon regaining full control of his account, Mr. Liu confined his response to a proverb. A good anvil does not fear the hammer. Well, of course it doesn't. It's always the anvil that breaks the hammer, not vice versa. The anvil's always good to go. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. John Morello is VP of Product Container and Serverless Security at Palo Alto Networks. He comes to us with insights from their latest report on the state of cloud-native security. Well, I think one of the the, uh, the goals we had, probably the primary goal we had, was just to understand not why cloud is being adopted, but how cloud is being secured as it is adopted. And I think you know, there's there's no argument at this point that. Uh, cloud is both sort of the, the present state as well as the future state for, for the majority of most organizations' infrastructure and, and applications. And there's been a lot written about, you know, people were concerned about security and hadn't moved to the cloud because of that. But I think over the past few years, um, that's really declined as you've seen the providers and, and just the industry itself. Hmm. Well, I mean, based on the information you've gathered here, based on those insights, what sort of recommendations do you have for folks to get a, a better handle on all this? 
Well, one of them I think is, and we saw this reflected in the data as well, is to really start thinking about security as not something that happens once you deploy your application or you turn on that service, but instead something that needs to be there from the very beginning of your design and development of that application. Um, you know, this notion of shift left that I'm, you know, I'm sure you've, you've heard of or, or DevSecOps or DevOps. I mean, they're all kind of different flavors of, of the same general philosophy, which is I want to make sure that I don't first evaluate an application or a service for security the day that the developer actually turns it on in production. Instead, I want to make sure that as I'm designing and building that service, that those security guardrails are built into it from the very beginning. And, you know, a very common basic example of that is every time I'm building my application, every time I'm, you know, creating a new container image, for example, that runs that application, I want to make sure that every one of those build jobs includes an assessment of that application for vulnerabilities and compliance and configuration. So if there is a problem, I can notify the developer right then and there, and they can fix that problem before it ever goes into production. You know, in the old world, if I wanted to run an application with five servers or something, somebody, some dude went into the data center and physically racked, you know, five five pizza boxes <laughs> or something and cabled them together. You know, that was the way that, that, that it was done. Well, now, of course, with, with cloud providers, not only are you not, you know, touching physical hardware, but, but in most cases, you, you're not, or at least you should not, be going through some kind of graphical user interface and pointing and clicking, the things where people can make mistakes and have secure, insecure configurations. Instead... You want to declare what that infrastructure should look like, again, in Terraform or Ansible or Puppet or, or any of one of these other uh, tools that are, that are very common today, and using that declarative way to say, this is what the infrastructure should be. And when you do that, not only do you have a guaranteed, more consistent end result, but you also have the opportunity to have a much more secure configuration, because similar to the way that we just talked about being able to scan that application software that's being built by the developer, so too can you scan the infrastructure as code template that's being used to declare the infrastructure. So for example, you could say, when somebody's deploying this app that has that S3 bucket, as part of that cloud formation template, I wanna make sure that that S3 bucket is not configured for anonymous access. And as part of that same deployment or build job, you can check that infrastructure as code in just the same manner that you check the application code that you've authored as well. That's John Morello from Palo Alto Networks. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Professor Awais Rashid. He's a professor of computer science at Bristol University. Uh, Awais, it's great to have you back. I want to talk today about some of the security pitfalls that teams need to avoid in the process of software development. 
What can you share with us today? So software lives at the uh, heart of our uh, societal fabric. Uh, you know, all sorts of systems that we use are built on the software from, you know, from your cars to your Hoovers to, for example, the online communication systems that we are all relying on during during the, this pandemic. And of course, you know, there is a lot of awareness about uh, uh, vulnerabilities in software and there is lots of advice around as to how do you fix uh, typical security bugs. So, for example, there is the OWASP Top 10, uh, which talks about the sort of, you know, the top 10 typical vulnerabilities in software and how, how to mitigate against them. But I think one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was that th- those are really important considerations, but that they're not the only things that lead to uh, vulnerabilities in, in software. So it's not just mm-hmm. the act of writing the code, but it's a lot of things that developers do and teams do around that act of writing the code, going all the way from the initial conception of the design to how you may consider the testing strategies for your software, even to the kind of plugins that you deploy within within your integrated development environments that you are using to develop your software all these decisions have an impact potentially in terms of the in terms of the security of your software and how do you how do you weigh each of those uh, possibilities uh, so to keep everything in balance so I, I think the key key here is that we need to consider that you know security is not a one shot thing. Right. So, and most of the software nowadays is not developed in what you call the traditional waterfall model, where you did some requirements and then you did some design and then an implementation. It's done in an iterative fashion, and we we have to sort of really build security into uh, all the activities, our security considerations into all the activities that uh, that we do. So, let's take as an example of you know setting up your integrated development environment. So, are you utilizing, for example, uh, you know, static analysis uh, checkers, which would check for particular security violations or security properties as you uh, as you develop your code for instance or if you are considering testing strategies you know are you considering particular types of testing strategies that would actually enable you to explore a wide array of potential potential security bugs or uh, let's consider you know mobile app development for example if you if you are using a monetization approach that includes incorporation of ad libraries do you carefully consider what kind of permissions do those ad libraries require you know what would that mean in terms of the security of the resulting app that you that you are producing so i think the key point here is to um, for both individual developers but also teams to consider that uh, consideration of security throughout all the various activities that surround the ultimate act of writing code is as important as the code itself so i'll i'll pick a particular example you know how 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 do teams for example appreciate the importance of security and we did some work in this regard and found that actually doing sort of you know uh, simple workshops where teams did some threat modeling to try and understand you know how how their software could be compromised actually led to a re- re- increased awareness about security issues and them to consider them in the in the design of their of their software or some you know sort of constant sort of gentle reminders through the teamwork that they, they they were doing or challenges from other team members asking questions about that. So it doesn't always have to be a very heavyweight activity, but it has to be, a, a, we, we go back to the sort of old point about, you know, what what is the security culture within your team? But then the question is, if you are largely a solo developer, then, you know, how do you actually uh, benefit from such cultures when you don't have a team around yourself? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's uh, it's always good to have someone to bounce things off of, or someone to remind you when you've, I don't yeah. know, you've, you've you've 
strayed from the path. Yeah, and it's not just that it has to be other people who do security. So one of the interesting things that we found was that it can be challenges from anyone. It could be challenges from, say, the, you know, the product team itself, you know, or it could be challenges from uh, the, the testers. It could be challenges from your customers who ask you questions about the software that you are producing. So it doesn't always have to be a security challenge, but it could be a set of challenges that ask interesting questions with regards to security. And let's sort of stretch that further. And, and privacy properties of the software that you're producing that then encourage developers to think about how they are actually going to overcome them. And these challenges could also come from the tools that you deploy. So earlier I mentioned, you know, static analysis tools, you might be using testing tools like fuzzing tools and so on. And it's, it's really interesting if you start to think about it in terms of these challenges, that could be, that is an interesting way of thinking about security, but embedded across the lifecycle, uh, whatever method or process you're using in terms of, in terms of developing your software. Yeah. No, it's interesting for sure. Professor Awais Rashid, thanks for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time, keep you informed, and it sounds great on vinyl. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. 
visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 